thank you. Welcome to the Hermeneutics Podcast, the program dedicated to the art and science of biblical interpretation. On today's episode, we have two special guests, friends of mine from Twitter, uh, and I hope afterwards, friends in real life uh, from this point on. But uh, I'd like to welcome officially Nathan, uh, no, I'm sorry, Nathaniel. Would you go to Nathan or Nathaniel? Nathaniel's good. Nathaniel. Okay, Nathaniel and Eki. And I won't try to pronounce your last name. Go ahead and, and tell me for us. Yeah, it's Eki Tepsaporncai. So it's, uh, it actually rhymes, rhymes with tech support guy. Tech support <laughs> uh, exactly what I need, because uh, the, the listeners can know that Nathaniel has helped me out recording this because I am computer illiterate or techie illiterate. Um, but it's a joy to have you guys on the show. It's great to be um, on. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. And go ahead and uh, introduce yourselves a little bit, um, whoever wants to start first, just so the audience will know you. Well, Eki's the superstar. Let's let Eki go first. <laughs> uh, well, that's not true, but um, yeah, Eki Tepsapornshai. I um, I was a graduate of TMS back in 2016, served uh, with Grace Community Church, um, intern, um, intern pastor uh, for a couple of years, um, traveled around the world uh, for ministry opportunities and then in the middle of 2019, uh, really early 2019, I was um, received the call to pastor a church in Brawley called Western Avenue Baptist Church. And so I have been down here uh, since the middle of 2019 up until now. So I'm the senior pastor down there and TMS graduate. That's probably what uh, most people would be looking for. Uh, yeah, I'm Nathaniel Jolly. Um, I went to a uh, Baptist college and then found my way to Master's Seminary. And uh, so Eki and I have have that in common. And uh, from there, uh, yeah, my wife and I ended up moving to Alaska, where I'm currently planning a church. And uh, yeah, and then host the our podcast with Eki here. So, yeah, did you guys meet at Masters? Did you guys were you cast classmates? No, we also met on Twitter. Oh, sounds weird to say, but yeah. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I, I didn't know we had the. I didn't even know we had the shared connection with Masters, but I guess it's it's not surprising. <clears throat> And so over time, I noticed his tweets, and I think I followed him first. Um, he, he had just come off the mission field and was, um, was very upset about how the whole critical race theory intersectionality thing was handled by the SBC. And so I started following him, and then soon after that, he started to follow me. And then he asked me to be a guest really just on his podcast, maybe a couple of months ago. Um, and, and then from there, it, uh, it escalated. So have you guys officially met in person, or is that still a meeting forthcoming? We were hoping it would be ShepCon, uh, but that uh, that's been canceled. So that would have been yeah. today. <laughs> we would have been, we would have actually met today if that uh, held up. But uh, hmm. still looking forward to that first time. Hmm. Okay. Well, so the reason I'm having you all both on, really, it started with uh, the reason I started following you both on Twitter was a tweet that Nathan put out that really. Uh, that's a really bad way to say it, but spoke to me. <laughs> I really, <laughs> I said, I had uh, a really good feeling towards the tweet that say we, we were like-minded. Uh, uh, yeah. A brother after my own heart type of an idea. Um, but he says on, I think it's February 18th, scripture has one meaning, uh, not mine, yours, or theirs, rather that of the author. The question I at where we ask when interpreting scripture is never what does my ethnicity, upbringing, or heritage bring to the text, but rather what did the writer intend by what he wrote. In uh, quote, that's from Nathaniel Jolly. Um, so Nathaniel, I'll just start with you. 
what did what did you mean if you if you can recall back back then and uh, what did you uh, intend to say and provoke thought in in your tweet yeah well you know the point was just to draw attention to the fact that we don't get to determine what scripture means when we read it we're just the interpreter um and and you know our interpretation is the point of that is to get to what the author meant in the text okay so what why is that such a uh what what that seems to me i guess coming from a like-minded seminary as uh, as you got you fellows do that seems a pretty basic idea a pretty um foundational truth uh, so why did you feel the need to to tweet that and and why is it somewhat alarming to people Oh, yeah, brother. Uh, you know, we live in an age of self, uh, self-promotion, self-gratification, um, you know, catering to self-desire, and, and that has made its way to, uh, it, it, and is applied when people are reading and interpreting scripture. And so, you know, you've got all kind of different hermeneutics out there. You've got the feminist hermeneutic, you've got the, uh, you know, the Black Lives Matter hermeneutic, you've got you know, just all kind of different, the all kind of different uh, ways of interpreting scripture, and almost all of them, um, you know, outside of what we would view as proper hermeneutics, uh, are indulging self satisfaction in scripture. Um, you know, so you've got the, you know, uh, the critical race theorists um, who read scripture from that lens. And uh, while they will say they're interpreting scripture, they're using quite a bit of eisegesis, so they're inserting meaning in the text from their point of view, um, you know, making it support their, uh, you know, their agenda. And that, that's become the world we live in. Um, you know, your, your truth, my truth, everyone can have their own truth. And so that tweet was just really meant to draw attention back to the fact that there's only one truth, and that's God's truth. Uh, and when we're reading scripture, that's the truth we're looking for, because ultimately that's the only one that exists. Yeah, and if I can, if I can just add to that, I mean, I, I, I'm teaching my church through Fundamentals of the Faith. You guys are aware of that 13-lesson uh, course. And I just got through lesson two, How to Know the Bible. And one of the points that I made to our church is, when it comes to hermeneutics, it sounds like such a technical term, but it's really just the standard rules of communication um, that we apply to each other. So, I mean, if Nathaniel were to write an email to me, um, it's not up to me to make it mean whatever it, I want it to mean. I want to be able to read it and interpret it the way Nathaniel had intended to, 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 to write it in terms of the meaning that was conveyed. And if I respond back to him, and I reflect the fact that I misunderstood something, Nathaniel's not going to say, oh, that's okay, Eki, that's not what I meant, but you can make it mean whatever you want. No, Nathaniel's going to jump in and say, well, Eki, that's actually not what I meant. I meant this and this. And so we do that with each other. We expect people to try to understand what it is we intended by what we wrote. But for some reason, a lot of people go to the scriptures, and they think it's suddenly up to them to go ahead and, and to determine what it meant rather than what God had intended. And so we want to understand what the original author wrote, what he intended for the original audience to be able to understand. And then once we understand what the original audience um, understood or were, were supposed to understand and apply, then we can bring it into our world and figure out, okay, how does this apply to us? Yeah, if, if Masters was any the way, uh, I went to Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, if it was 
in any way close to the teaching that we receive there, the general idea is to uh, approach the scripture as much as possible, divested of one's own um, biases, if you would, uh, when we approach scripture, so that we can, to the best of our ability, determine what the original author uh, intended to say by what he wrote. Um, but now we see culture almost flip that on its head to where, and it, you might say that it stems from the, the reader response hermeneutic that came out of the critical uh, ideas from the 1900s, but you get this idea that um, now we are commended by approaching the text with our cultural or ethnic or whatever lens that we have, and uh, that we should interpret with those lenses. And then furthermore, the, the interpretations that we arrive at are all valid, even if, I think some would say, even if self-contradictory between the cultures. Uh, and so let's address that then, <clears throat> approaching the text of scripture with a cultural lens. Um, why is that, I, mean, we, I think we mentioned it already, uh, bad or a bad hermeneutic to hold? Um, and what problems does that set us up for? Well, yeah, it, I think you you mentioned the reader response method. And we we all recognize that. You go to a Bible study, and the Bible study leader will ask each person, what does this text mean to you? What does this text mean to you? And I remember early on in my own growth, um, hearing John MacArthur respond to that, saying, look, I don't care what the text means to you. I care what the text means, period. Uh, we want to know what it was the Holy, um, the, Ho the Holy Spirit intended from God as he wrote that. But the reader response method, what's interesting today is that I think most people would not say that they support the reader response method. And in fact, what we're seeing with this kind of standpoint hermeneutics or this kind of cultural or ethnic uh, hermeneutic is that um, it's really the same reader response, but disguised in a different way. And a lot of this is even being supported from within what we would have considered the reformed movement, the reformed conservative movement. So we're not even necessarily talking about the charismatics or the prosperity preachers or whatnot, but these are starting to come up from reform movements with this ethnic hermeneutic. And it is driven by culture because the culture has been, you know, when we talk about CRT, that's been, that's been taught in our universities for decades. Um, and that's been there for a long time. And that has been influencing people's thought. And especially as people are now coming up with, you know, the Black Lives Matter and, and trying to push these, uh, the, this white supremacy kind of narrative, it has also led to people within the church to say, well, how can we do, how can we support that within the Bible? Of course, they wouldn't say that directly, but within the Bible, the way we can support that is by interpreting it from different cultures. Well, one of the problems is that if you were to get, for instance, an Asian um, interpretation of the scriptures, you're not going to even have agreement between Asians, because the way I read it is very much the way Nathaniel reads it, which is probably very much the way you read it. So in that case, our ethnicities don't matter. So am I suddenly now going to identify with the white evangelicals um, or am I part of the Asians? And then when you talk about African-Americans, are we going to say that Daryl Harrison is not a true African-American, but he identifies now as white? So the, the, the cultural hermeneutic um, lends this false idea that there's a different truth depending upon your background, when really there's not. And we see that just in the people from different backgrounds who affirm the same truth, which is what God's truth is. Yeah, you know, just thinking about that, uh, as an example, uh, we you, you mentioned CRT, um, you know, so talk about critical race theory if folks aren't 
very familiar with that. You know, effectively, it's just a way of grouping people um, and their two primary classes, the oppressed and the oppressor. And so when we talk about using that as, as a hermeneutic in, by which we interpret Scripture, uh, those folks are looking at Scripture and they're trying to fit everything in the Bible into those two main categories. And so what happens um, is they would look at Jesus and they would say, oh, OK, well, how do we fit him in um, in, in this movement through our lens? Well, let's make Jesus into a minority refugee who's coming to free the oppressors, right? And then all of a sudden, that is the character and nature of Jesus uh, as they would interpret it. And so, but the problem is that the, the problem obviously is that that's not what Christ's purpose was in coming. Um, and, and so that's the problem with using any hermeneutic other than a hermeneutic that's looking at authorial intent that's looking at the grammar um you, you know that's the big thing we we understand that and believe that god worked in a way through the authors that the author's intent was also god's intent um something you know we would call divine concursus and 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 we understand that the the language the the form of writing along with the grammar is what we can look at to get closest to uh, the author's meaning as well as the historical context. And so when you look at scripture using that, it it eliminates the most self. Like none of none of us come completely void uh, of of our own um, experiences and things when we're reading scripture. That's just part of fallen human nature. But when we use that as our way of interpreting scripture, we eliminate the most of that, I think, and we come out with the clearest meaning. You know, and, and the other thing I would say that ought to be a big red flag that has sort of gone out the window is, you know, here we are in the 21st century, and all of a sudden we're coming up with all these brand new, never seen before interpretations. Uh, that ought to be a red flag. When, when, we're, when you can say, wow, look, I found something in scripture that has never been seen before for, for 2,000 years, um, that should be an instant red flag. Uh, but that is something that our culture has embraced and even celebrated the idea of finding new uh, inventions in Scripture. And so it's almost like wh whoever can be um, come up with the, the newest fandangled interpretation has more authority. But that's just simply not what we're looking for. We want to understand what all of Christianity has understood throughout history. We're not looking for anything new. And so, yeah, th those are big things in our in our current culture. We need to avoid that type of thing. And just just so we can give like actual examples of what you both are talking about in, in a recent book. Uh, and forgive me, I, this is I'm trying to find it at the moment. But reading Wild Black, written by Sean or Esau McCauley. I think his name is Esau McCauley. And this has been getting rave reviews from a lot of the, um, uh, I guess, publishing companies that we would all recognize and know. Um, but there's some statements in it that would be, that would perfectly explain what's going on. He, he says that, um, well, he starts off in chapter one, and it was very alarming. Chapter one, he, I'm going to do a, a full review on the podcast later, I think. But uh, in chapter one, he talks about um, how slave owners had uh, when they allowed preaching to go on to the slaves they they had a specific hermeneutic that they would use 
typically of a pro-slavery hermeneutic where they would emphasize passages such as Paul um, endorsing, well, not endorsing necessarily, but uh, telling master or slaves to be obedient to their master, so on and so forth. Um, but then when uh, an African-American was allowed to preach that that would be um, indicative or uh, emphasizing the, the aspect of God's freeing of slaves, whether it be from Egypt or so on and so forth. And then he kind of assigns those uh, to be titles of different hermeneutics, he, kind of a, a slave owner hermeneutic and then a, um, a slave hermeneutic. And, and from that, he says, he kind of in his conclusion, uh, Euro-American scholars, ministers, and lay folk have over the centuries, and I'm quoting here, used their economic, academic, religious, and political dominance to recreate the illusion that the Bible read through their experience is the Bible read correctly. So I think what he does here is he insinuates that, well, he actually clearly states it later, but um, for instance, stated differently, everybody has been reading the Bible from their locations but we are honest about it. What makes black interpretation black then is our, the collective experiences, customs, and habits of black people in this country. So essentially what he's saying is arguing here is that every people group, every, I think you mentioned it earlier, Eki, was that uh, while we would argue that you, you can't group people like this uh, and, and label them a, a specific interpretation. For instance, I am, while Nathan and I are both white, we both we, we we hold the same hermeneutic, but it's not because we are white. Um, in fact, he, if I believe, if I remember right, you come from South Carolina, and Nathaniel, so you would be a uh, Southern white hermeneutic, and I would have from the Appalachian area, I would be the Appalachian uh, hermeneutic. And so, even though our ethnicities are both white, we're, we're we don't come from the same people group in that in that sense. Uh, so. I think it's a mess when you start trying to group people and group hermeneutical um, backgrounds by ethnicity or even by any stretch of the imagination. Um, because as I was talking to a pastor recently, even within the United States, we would all, if you wanted to label us all under a Western hermeneutic, um, even in the States, we all come from various people. We have various different ethnicities, various different backgrounds, poor uh, rich, all this stuff. Um, but if we start assigning uh, various hermeneutical methods to each group, there's no end to the subjectivity. And the problem comes in with what happens when we start disagreeing with each other. And again, I think the answer is, as we both said, the answer is going back to an objective standard. What did God intend through the author? Um, so just let's, let's just speak on that. This is an actual example being being written in a popular book today um, that is using this as a foundational standpoint, that being um, that every culture, ethnicity, whatnot, has a different hermeneutic because they read in their experiences. Yeah, I mean, well, let's let's start with the reality that that's um, we all do that to some extent, even if we try not to do that. Okay, we're all susceptible to that. That's that's why whatever we pull out of the Bible, it, it's subject to criticism from other members of the church. Iron sharpens iron. So we want to always subject that to the rest of the church and open it up for criticism and discussion, and, and people will bring uh, different viewpoints. But it's really different viewpoints trying to get at what the core truth is. 
And so we recognize that we have a temptation to kind of read our background into it, but it doesn't give us the excuse to do so. And so what, and I haven't read that book from Esau Macaulay, but it sounds like what you're describing when he talks about, hey, the slave owner will do this and the slave will do this. Well, he's really just describing two different eisegetical approaches where you know, you're just picking and choosing what it is that you want to emphasize. Now, yeah. I understand we, we can go through, for instance, um, Ephesians chapter one, <clears throat> and you can go through that just, just building a theology of salvation going through that chapter. And then you can look at a different point of view and talk about God's predestination. You know, so there are different aspects that, that you can certainly pull out of some rich text, but ultimately there is one purpose from the author and there is one meaning overall that you're going to gather from it. There may be multiple applications, but yeah, what you're describing sounds like multiple eisegetical approaches, which is not um, acceptable. We don't just pick and choose what we want to what we want to preach. So a slave owner already has the has the um, agenda of wanting to um, solidify his um, his slave owning ways, and so he's only going to preach texts that talk about how slaves are to obey masters, whereas a slave might emphasize more of the Exodus account and the freedom accounts and how they should be free and all that. Well, we're supposed to go to the full counsel of God, right? So we're, we're supposed to go to the full testimony that God has uh, in his Bible. But the other thing too, is that even if you try to take this ethnic approach and, and you say, well, you know, I think the, I don't remember what the exact word, but, but the kind of the community approach from a certain cultural background, well, you still need a person who's going to be the arbiter for that. All right. So, I mean, no, not, not everyone from the same backgrounds are going to agree. You might have 40% one way, 60% the other way, or you might have one thirds split in three different ways. Who is the one that says, okay, this is the black interpretation, or this is the Asian interpretation, or this is the white interpretation, right? And what, and when you choose that, what do you end up doing to those who don't agree? Well, you end up kind of disowning them or saying, well, you really kind of belong to a white interpretation or you belong to an Asian interpretation. So there's all kinds of problems with this because when, when you try to bring a whole group together, now you have to have an arbiter and the arbiter is not basing his decision upon the standard of scripture, but basing his decision upon what he thinks best meets the viewpoint of the overall ethnic group. Yeah, to, to your point about, uh, you said earlier, uh, about it's it's eisegesis going on on both ends. And I, I think when I left chapter one of his book, um, I left it thinking, yeah, so the slave owners definitely were using eisegesis to, to purport, uh, to propose um, a, a backing of, of slavery that, that the scriptures never intended. But at the same time, we can also overemphasize uh, the freedom aspect of scripture and, and ask, for instance, yes, God uh, took the uh, the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery. We forget to ask who put them in Egyptian slavery, uh, who, who designed that uh, and ordained that to happen from the beginning. Obviously, we're not condoning any form of slavery here, but it's just the idea that all of the apostles, as John MacArthur puts in his book, uh, claim to be slaves of Jesus Christ. So th this aspect that all God does is, is, is freeing. And I'm not sure that uh, Esau Macaulay would say that, but it just gives the impression that, that I think he said that this, her, the, the slave hermeneutic had a higher moral justification maybe than, than the slave owner aspect. And I, I think that's, 
I think that's difficult in a, in a weird web to get into because there's, I think Abner Chow says it, interpreting scripture is a moral issue. There, there's, there's a right way and there's a wrong way. It doesn't matter uh, what background you come to the wrong interpretation. There's, there's what God intended and then what we do to the text. Um, and if we don't arrive at what God intends, then at some level we're making a moral mistake. Yeah, I think there's some great irony in hearing you quote him there because he rightly identifies um, the the slave owners as interpreting from a wrong hermeneutic. Uh, of course, then we understand that the slaves themselves do the exact same thing, right? Uh, in interpret in an eisegetical way, which is a wrong way of interpret. But then he proposes uh, the very same thing. Right. I mean, it's just peak irony in in the guys who rightly call out wrong ways to interpret scripture are then doing the very same thing. Right. Using eisegesis, uh, you know, to interpret scripture. And so um, I just and that's the same with with everything. The feminist hermeneutic does the same thing. Uh, you know, the critical race theorists do the same thing. I mean, we find that very thing. And so the, the issue always becomes when I'm interpreting scripture, am I trying to find something that supports my own position or am I trying to find God's meaning in the text? Am I trying to get to the author's meaning of the text? And if that isn't the central goal, you can be sure that you're going to misinterpret scripture. Um, you know, and I think, it, you know, it's interesting to me, my wife and I were talking about this very same mindset in poetry reading uh, sessions. It's happened for decades and decades and decades where you get a group of guys together and they'll read a form of poetry. Or if you take a literature class in college, you'll read some poetry and then, and then you get the same thing. Well, what do you think it means? What does it mean to you? And, and, you know, my wife said uh, the other day, she just said, I always hated that because it only meant one thing the poetry meant whatever the author was trying to convey. Like, I, I want to know what he meant when he wrote about, you know, whatever it was. Um, and, and so I think Eki said earlier, this is, we're just talking about a normal, understandable way of interpreting communication. Um, it, you know, if Eki's writing me an email to use his example, I, I don't really care what you think the email might have said or communicated. I want to know what Eki meant by the email so that I can communicate effectively. And that's what we've got to bring to the text. And so other, otherwise, just throw the Bible out, make your own religion, um, it, you know, because if you're inserting your own ideas, that's effectively what you're doing anyway. You're just using God as kind of a stamp of approval. You know, you're creating a God in your own image to, to uh, further promote your own religion, which is exactly what CRT has done. Yeah. And in fact, even in that example where you have like the slave owners hermeneutic and you have the slaves hermeneutic, but the slaves hermeneutic is valued higher than the slave owners hermeneutic. That really comes from the CRT worldview. And not to say that the biblical world worldview would place it differently. That's not the point. But the point is, you know, you're driving value decisions off of which hermeneutic uh, sounds better based upon a starting worldview that, that you begin from. When we have a biblical worldview, we understand that all men are sinners, that um, Nathaniel, you're not any more sinful than I am just because you were born white. Neither is, are you, Nahum. 
So we, we understand that the biblical worldview helps to inform better decisions. But the other part of this too, and we know that this is so important with hermeneutics, <clears throat> the two first two rules of hermeneutics I, I gave to my church. One was scripture always agrees with scripture. And the second is context, 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 right? Um, for us to really understand what was intended by the original author, we need to read it in context. We need to figure out what is the context of this letter? Who is he writing to? What is the historical backdrop? What was he responding to? Who is the audience? How would they have received it? All those kinds of questions go into, into play. And when you start to take this kind of standpoint approach, uh, my concern is that those questions, which should be primary in kind of that observation phase, end up becoming either secondary or end up sharing same footing with the idea of, well, from my ethnicity, what does this mean to me? Because if you're really asking good contextual questions of the actual biblical text, the biblical context itself, then what ethnicity I come from doesn't matter, right? I mean, Paul went, Paul went to Berea. He's preaching to the Bereans. And what do the Bereans do? They examine the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They're, they're not taking into account you know, what their background is or, or whatnot. And same when Paul went to other places, when he went to Athens, when he went to Ephesus, you know, there, there's one meaning in the text. And as he said to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.15, you know, you know, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who need not be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. And that word accurately implies objective truth. If we can make it mean whatever we want, you can take that word accurately and just throw it out the window. It doesn't mean anything, but we are to be accurate, which means we are taking all these steps to try to understand the actual truth rather than muddying it up with, uh, with our own viewpoints. <laughs>